In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be. This past week, the great Chicago Bears linebacker Dick Butkus died in his sleep at age 80. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest linebackers who ever played football. So great was he at his position that the uh, College Football Award for the Best Linebacker is named after him. Um, and uh, he played football in the 60s and in the early 70s, and then after he retired, he became an actor and a philanthropist. Uh, he left behind a wife and children, adult children and grandchildren. Um, and he died peacefully in his sleep in his house in Malibu. Now, that situation, an 80-year-old man who has lived a full life, who had a career, an illustrious career, and who has set up his family for financial success for generations to come, who dies peacefully in his sleep, I mean, you would expect the family to have some sadness, but this is not what we would consider to be a disaster, right? His widow would not be pessimistic about the future. Oh, woe is me, anything like that. She still has her children and grandchildren. Of course, I know nothing about their family other than what I read in the news. But what I'm trying to say is this is really a stark contrast to what we have in the gospel presented to us today, where Christ and his disciples come upon a funeral procession and they come across a young man who has died. We all know the pain that we feel when a young person dies. There's a sense of hope that dies with us. But this is a young man who was the only son of his mother who also happened to be a widow. If there was ever somebody who had the right to despair, it was probably this woman. Because being a widow, she was dependent on her son to take care of her. She couldn't exactly just go drive an Uber and make some money to pay for her living quarters. Now, women were allowed to work at that time, um, most notably, right, uh, Saint Lydia was a seller of purple. She was a merchant of really high-end dye and, and materials, right? But that was actually more of an exception. A lot of women would have um, very simplistic jobs, um, like household work, uh, sewing, and whatnot. But they really didn't have, uh, let's say it was a low floor and a low ceiling for them economically. People were very dependent on their families for survival. And this woman has now her husband and her only child who have died. If someone had an excuse to be a little pessimistic, it was probably her. But nevertheless, in the midst of her grief, in the midst of her sorrow, in the depths of despair, our Lord comes to her. 
our Lord comes to her. And this encounter is really fascinating because our Lord, like many other encounters that he has with people, sometimes he heals by his touch, sometimes he heals by his word, sometimes by both. This is another encounter where his touch appears to be life-giving. He reaches out and he touches the bier, he stops the funeral procession, and he says, young man, I say to you, arise. Of course, this came after he told the mother, do not weep. She's probably thinking, what? What? You don't even, do you even know? Like, my context? But he knew what he was going to do. But he reaches out and he touches the young man, he touches the beer, and the young man arises at Jesus' word. It is pointed out by many of the saints, especially St. Cyril of Alexandria, about this passage that one of the major things we should remember is that Christ's body is life-giving. Christ's body is life-giving. His body is full of divine grace. And it is that same divine grace which created the world. It is that same divine grace which holds everything together. It is that same divine grace which provides for our every breath. Our Lord's body is life-giving. And when we come forward for Holy Communion in the Divine Liturgy, we are encountering the same life-giving body that this young man who had been dead encountered. The question we should be asking is, when we encounter the Lord in Holy Communion, why don't we experience what that young man did? Why don't we experience what the woman with the flow of blood did when she touched the hem of his garment? Why don't we have a taste of what the disciples did at the Last Supper? The question should lead us to ponder what's going on with us. Because most certainly, there is not a problem with what is being offered by the Lord. In the prayers that we pray before Holy Communion, in the third prayer, which is a prayer of St. John Chrysostom, he says, Grant that the fiery coal of thine all-holy body and precious blood be for the sanctification, enlightenment, and strengthening of my wretched soul and body, for the relief from the burden of my many transgressions, for my preservation against every demonic activity, for trampling down and averting of my careless and evil habits, for the mortification of passions, for obedience to thy commandments, for growth in thy divine grace, and for the inheritance of thy kingdom. That's quite a list. That's quite a list. All from a spoonful of the divine body and blood. The Lord's body is life-giving. The Lord's body is for our sanctification and enlightenment and strengthening. It's for the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. 
It's for the mortification of passions. So we should be asking, why do I receive Holy Communion and yet I'm still afflicted by the passions? Why do I receive Holy Communion and yet my body still hurts? Why do I receive Holy Communion and yet I still feel so distant from God? The answer is probably because we are not investing in our faith and we are not truly, truly discerning the Lord's body and blood from the other food that we eat through the week. In his second epistle to the Corinthians, which we just heard from chapter 9, St. Paul says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This passage very much talks about money. St. Paul talks about being a cheerful giver and being generous for good works to produce thanksgiving to God. It's very much talking about money. But this idea of sowing and reaping also very much applies to our faith. If we sow sparingly the seeds of our faith, we will reap sparingly the fruit of our faith. If we sow bountifully and invest our time and our spiritual life, then we will reap the fruit thereof. We must sow seeds of love in order to reap kindness. We must sow the seeds of generosity in order to receive the Lord's gifts. We must sow seeds of faith in order to taste of the resurrection. We must sow seeds of hope in order to avoid despair. But if we want the Lord's body to be life-giving, we must invest ourselves in His life. In His life. We must invest ourselves in the scriptures. We must invest ourselves in our prayers. We must invest ourselves in good works, in service to others, in prayer and fasting, and especially in repentance. Why do I walk away from the liturgy on Sundays and feel unchanged? I probably haven't sown enough seeds of repentance. And I probably haven't watered those seeds with my tears. We have to invest ourselves in the church. We have to invest ourselves in the life of Christ. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him if we want to reap the fruit that He gives. St. Paul says that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your resources and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of your righteousness. And if you want a bountiful harvest of righteousness, really it's up to you. God is ready and willing to multiply your harvest 
But He's waiting for you to do the sowing. He's waiting for you to do the watering. He's waiting for you to pull the weeds. He's waiting for you to prepare the soil. He's waiting for you to keep watch and to build the fences around your garden, the garden of your heart, and protect it. The Lord wants nothing else than to give us His body and blood, and He wants nothing else than for that body and blood to be life-giving. But even St. Paul says in the first century, there are some who do not discern the Lord's body and get sick or even die because they show up unprepared. Brothers and sisters, we are called to sow bountifully and reap a harvest of righteousness bountifully. But if we only show up, if our spiritual life only involves one hour a week on Sundays, and then any other time during our life when we feel like we're in crisis and we need a lifeline, our harvest will not be bountiful. We must do the hard work. We must sow the seeds of repentance, the seeds of love, the seeds of generosity, and the seeds of faith in order to reap the harvest of righteousness. The young man whom Jesus raised from the dead was not raised simply so he could go on in his life and sin or do anything else. He was raised for the purpose of good works and to glorify God. Anytime we ask God for health, for good health, and when He gives it, He's counting on us using our good health for good works and to glorify God and to deepen our repentance. The harvest of righteousness is not just to eat, drink, and be merry in this world, but to draw near to God and dwell near and draw near to draw near to God and dwell in union and communion with Him so that we can be close to Him in this world and in the next. And in the next. So let us not just sow seeds that will bear temporal fruit and earthly success, but let us sow seeds of faith and repentance and love and generosity that will bear eternal fruit and lead us to the eternal kingdom where all the saints give praise and glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is never shall be.